0: you have your Bibles this morning, please take them out. We're going to be opening up to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. Isaiah, chapter 9. Lord, I'm always so thankful for an opportunity to open up your Word and to hear your heart towards us, Lord. So this morning, as we open up your Scriptures, give us soft hearts, give us ears to hear what you would say to us, Lord, this morning, I pray. We thank you, Lord, that you desire to speak and we desire to listen, Lord. So help us at this time, we pray. Amen. Amen. So, I don't know about you, but I I think it's amazing that it's December, let alone that Christmas is just seven days away in, in one week. And of course, at this time of year, there are many common themes that we see around the place, whether it's at uh, the shops um, when you see a nativity scene or different uh, images about Christmas, whether it's cards that you receive or write at this time of year or Christmas wrapping for those who are organized and already wrapped their presents, whether it's Christmas carols that you listen to at the shops or at home. These common themes that we see are, are peace and hope and joy and love and goodwill All those wonderful things and uh, in our household uh, it's kind of a bit of a tradition around this time of year in December that we of course put the Christmas tree up but we also have a particular Christmas CD, a Christmas album uh, that we enjoy listening to. It was just some great carols, kind of a bit of a modern take on them uh, but it gets a really great workout every year and uh, so we've been enjoying that. But there's a a particular carol that has been, I guess, on my heart or resonating with me the last few weeks, and I want to just um, spend a little bit of time kind of starting looking at a few things about this carol as almost like a foundation or a launch pad from which to go from for the rest of this message, and that's joy to the world. Does anyone like that carol? Yeah, great, joyful, uh, uplifting, upbeat Christmas carol. And so just to give a little bit of history, because uh, this was new to me anyway, as I was looking into this this week. Joy to the World was written by Isaac Watts, who was an English hymn writer. He wrote, I think, estimated around 750 hymns. And, you know, some really well-known ones. We, we sing one of them here, When I Survey, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. I think how amazing that nearly 300 years later, We're still singing that song of worship. But he wrote this uh, Christmas carol, Joy to the World, based on Psalm 98. And interestingly, he didn't write it to be a Christmas song. The original and intended theme of the song was to be based on the second coming of Jesus. On the second coming. You guys probably already know that, but it was new to me, and hopefully if... Someone didn't know that? You've learnt something new today. But it still works, doesn't it? Either his first or second coming, it still works. Joy to the world. Joy is not a finite thing. There was joy to the world when Christ came. We have joy now because he came. And we'll have great joy in the future because he's coming again, for those who know him. And uh, so I've been reflecting on particularly the first couple of lines of this Christmas carol joy to the world, the Lord is come. Why joy to the world? Because the Lord has come. Because the Lord has come. And so this morning I want to just spend some time looking at uh, this joy or this hope that we have available to us and of course to the world, joy to the world. But also there's a particular phrase that I want to just focus on really spend some time unpacking a little bit that if we can grab hold of in our own lives i believe will bring joy beyond measure so are you in isaiah chapter 9 ready to go great it says verse 1 but so just note that word for a second there we'll be focusing on on that at some point but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's a wonderful prophetic passage about Jesus, about the Messiah. And I know that Andrew touched on it last week. I also felt it on my heart this week. I thought it's too good just to hear once at this time of year but just to give a little bit of context here, Isaiah prophesied in a period of great evil, of great wickedness and darkness in the land of Israel. It was a dark period in Israel's history. And so at the end of chapter 8, just prior to launching into this prophetic passage on Jesus, um, the people of God had hardened their hearts towards him. They'd uh, walked away from him, and they'd ended up in this place of being enshrouded in spiritual darkness, in a place of exile. And so if we read that last verse of chapter 8, it says, And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Not exactly encouraging, you know, the week out from Christmas to look at something like that. But then look what it goes on to say in verse 1 of chapter 9. There's this word, but. But. And the Amplified Bible puts it like this. It says, but, brackets, in the midst of judgment, there is the promise and certainty of the Lord's deliverance, and there shall be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Don't you love how God doesn't leave us? He doesn't leave his people in that place of despair, that place of no hope. He intervenes to bring about a glorious uh, redemption. And I love what it says, even in the midst, even in the midst, there's the promise and certainty of the Lord's deliverance. Even in the midst of troubles you may be facing this morning, the Lord is able. Even in the midst of the turmoil of what we see in the world, you know, we look around, we see the unrest in The Middle East and what's happening in Syria, uh, in other parts of the world, it can be overwhelming at times. But even in the midst, God is able. There's the promise and certainty of His deliverance. Even in the midst of brokenness or impossible situations, there is the promise and the certainty of the Lord's deliverance for us. Hallelujah. And you know, Isaiah prophesied in this time of, of darkness and wickedness and evil. And if he um, prophesied in this time, you know, in this place of deep darkness, that's when the light is most needed. And that's when the light's most effective as well. And so, if this kind of message of hope was needed back then, in Israel's history, and it was needed when Jesus came to earth, how much more do we need it now, in our day and age? In this city we live, in this nation, the world, we need His light to break through. His light to shine in the darkest places. So, joy to the world, to link it back to the carol, is based on the fact that God has taken the initiative. That God has intervened. There's nothing else He could have done for us to show His love, to show His mercy, to bring us back into relationship with him. And so here in Isaiah there are three things that are promised. A glorious light, a glorious joy, and a glorious liberty. Wonderful promises and the really good news for us is that these things are promises for us here and now today. A glorious light, a glorious joy, and a glorious liberty. And in all these things in these promises here And in God breaking through with these things, He has taken the initiative. I love what it says in verse 7 here of Isaiah 9. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He will do this. It's His passion. It's His zeal. He will do this. So why joy to the world? Because our God has lifted off gloom and anguish. The state of hopelessness and despair. He doesn't just leave us in that state of hopelessness. He's not passive. He doesn't hold back and waiting if we, to see if we can figure it out on our own. You know, I can see they're struggling a bit, but you know, we'll just see if they can figure it out. No, He is taking the initiative. He has intervened, bringing light and hope and joy into the darkness, into our hopelessness. He has brought light. He has broken the yoke of the burden of oppression, as it says here in Isaiah 9, four, As on the day of Midian, And it's an interesting phrase here that's just been put in there that I I just want to look at a little bit because it refers to God breaking human oppression using the example for what he did for Gideon and the people of Israel back in Judges 6 and 7. I'm sure that many of us would know that, that story about God bringing about this great deliverance and great victory even when it seemed an impossibility with just 300 men against this vast army. So why this reference to this this story from Judges 6? Well, I believe that there's a link here with what God did in the natural by bringing about this great deliverance, by breaking the yoke of oppression of the people of Midian, Midian that they had over Israel. So a link between what he did in the natural to what he would do Spiritually, to what he would do in the spiritual by breaking the yoke, the oppression of sin. I believe it's intended to show and remind the readers that it's only God who can break off oppression and bring freedom. It's only him who can shine light into the darkness, and it's only him who can bring deliverance where none can be seen. So let's, let's, um, we won't turn there today just for the sake of time, but let's reflect a little bit on what happened in the day of Midian, as it says here in Isaiah 9. Well, the people of Israel, as was their custom, I guess you could say, had done evil in the eyes of the Lord. They turned their backs on him. They'd walked away from him. So the Lord gave them over into the hand of the Midianites. And the Bible tells us that they were a vast people. They were like locusts. They couldn't be counted, and they oppressed the people of Israel. They ravaged the land. They couldn't plant crops because um, no sooner had they done that than the Midianites would come in and just uh, totally destroy them and take them for themselves. They cried out to the Lord for deliverance, the Bible says, and the Lord heard them and sent Gideon, of course. And as the story goes on, um, Gideon makes the call for Men of valor to come and, and help him in his quest to fight the, the Midianites. And 32,000 men come initially. So you can imagine, 32,000, that's a decent-sized army right there. But God says, no, 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 no. There's too many men here for me to bring about deliverance. He whittled it down. No, still too many men. There's, there's going to be less that I'm going to leave you with. So 300 men in the end, they went to fight, uh, to go, go into battle. And the Lord brought about this great victory through Gideon and just 300 men. And so though this vi- victory over the Midianites was impossible in every way in the natural, they were outnumbered, 300 to a vast people group. They did not have the necessary weapons. They just had some trumpets and some jar, clay jars with lights in them. doesn't sound like weapons of warfare to me. They were ill-equipped, yet God intervened and brought about this great victory and this great deliverance. So I believe this reference here in Isaiah 9, it's like God reminding the people that he is faithful and he is able, even though it seemed like they could never get out of this situation, that they were in this place of darkness and anguish and gloom and despair. He was reminding them that, yes, The people of Israel were in that place back in the the day of Midian, this place of darkness and despair. How are we going to get out of this oppression, Lord? And yet the Lord intervened and brought about a great victory, brought, brought them out of that place of slavery and into freedom. He brought about the deliverance. And so I believe that there's a link here to salvation and what Jesus came to do for us. I asked this to the first service. Has anyone here ever been stuck in a lift, in an elevator? Yep, a few of us, okay. we will have to send Sam White your way. He's, uh, He's the expert in those sort of things. I can remember a number of years ago, I was with a group of teammates in a sporting team that I was involved with and we were about to go to this official dinner and we left the place where we were staying. We got in the lift, probably about 10 or so of us, the lift went down, then all of a sudden, you know, the jolt, and then it had stopped. And we're like, okay, this is not great. Obviously, we're going to be late to the dinner, and how long are we going to be stuck in here? Will we ever get out? Will we ever see our families again? It was, you know, a place of despair and anguish. And, um, but, you know, we were stuck in that lift, and no matter how hard we could have tried, even though we were a bunch of strong and fit guys, you know there's no we couldn't prize the door open on our own. We couldn't make our way out on our own. We needed to be set free by the one who had the power and the ability to do so, the lift technician. And so thankfully, praise God, he was not too far away and he came and got us out of there. But in the same way for us, I believe this this reference to as on the day of Midian is a reference to salvation, what Jesus came to do. There's nothing that we could do of our own accord to earn our salvation, to have right relationship with God restored. We we need to be set free by the one who has the power and the ability to do so. And so just as there was a breaking off of the oppression of the Israelites because of uh, Midian, this deliverance the Lord brought about that could only have been done by the hand of God, So with the coming of Jesus, and for us through Jesus, though we were in deep darkness, without hope, we couldn't save ourselves, God intervened to bring his light, to bring his joy, his peace, his liberty. Only God could do that. And I believe that Christ's coming epitomizes God taking the initiative, him intervening. There was no other way. Because of sin. There was no other way for right relationship to be restored between man and God. So he took it on himself. He made the way himself. And even as we think about Christ's mission when he came. He says in the Gospels, um, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So let's think about that for a second. He came. That's a, this intentional thing. He came to seek and Again, this taking the initiative, seeking out, bringing in, and save. Again, this sense of restoring. All of these words are active, intentional words, verbs. He, God taking the initiative to make a way for us. You know, we can think about um, he, we love. We love God because He first loved us. He first loved us. Amazing. So there's a particular phrase that reflects God taking the initiative. And I want to spend just a little bit of time now focusing on this this phrase because I believe it captures the heart of the gospel, the message of Christmas and what we celebrate at this time of year and why there is joy to the world. So turn with me, we're going to the New Testament, bring it into the New Testament context, Ephesians chapter 2. Love Ephesians. If you're ever stranded on a deserted island and could only take one book of the Bible, it would definitely be up, up there for me, I think. So Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Wonderful passage here. So what do we have? In verse 1, it says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So that echoes to me the state of things that we read in Isaiah, end of chapter 8 and Isaiah 9. The sense of anguish and despair and gloom. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And then I love what it says in verse 4, but God, but God. If you're taking notes, that's actually the title of my sermon this morning, but God. This phrase, perhaps more than any other, brings joy to the world. Joy to the world is totally centered around but God. These two words in and of themselves, in a sense, contain the whole gospel, if you think about it. The gospel tells of what God has done, tells of God's intervention into mankind. And it's something that comes entirely from outside us and displays to us that wondrous and amazing and astonishing work of God. But God. And this phrase appears many times in Scripture, but time and time again at crucial points in Scripture. For example, um, back in Genesis 8, in the account of Noah, when there's the, the flood and it says, but God remembered Noah and rescued him and his family. And then when the people of Israel had come out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, it says, but God led them a particular way for his purpose. Here we read it again. I think in 2 Timothy 2 it says, you know, but God's firm foundation stands, but God. And so the word but, By definition, it's a conjunction. It's used to introduce something contrasting what has already been. So if we think about, remember back to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, where it says, But, the but contrasts the anguish and the gloom and the despair from the end of chapter 8. But in the midst of judgment, there is the promise and certainty of the Lord's deliverance. So the word but introduces the transition point from the hopelessness and despair of man to the hope and the comfort of the gospel. I came across uh, across a quote this week that I thought was good and relevant for this morning. It was by a guy by the name of uh, James Montgomery Boyce, and he wrote, May I put it quite simply, if you understand these two words, but God, they will save your soul. If you recall them daily and live by them, they will transform your life completely. To the left of but God in Scripture appear some of the worst human atrocities. To the left of but God is hopelessness, darkness, and death. But to its right, following but God, readers of Scripture will find hope and light and life. So keep an eye out for that as you're reading Scripture over the next little while. Look out for the, the but God phrases that you see bring hope and light and life so centering our lives around this idea of but God brings joy as it's not about our works it's not about our effort or our ability to have it all together or bring something valuable or worthwhile to the table I don't know if you've seen some um, motivational pictures or things like that you know that often on the walls of gyms or remember seeing some around like a squash court I used to play at. Um, you know, they, they say things, pictures of people out running or working really hard. And it says, you know, uh, you have what it takes. You can do it. Just do it. You know, that kind of thing. Or, or in this day and age, we see the rise of uh, self-help gurus who who portray this message of, oh, you just got to find the answer within. It lies within you. You've got to bring it out. Well, in verse 8 of Ephesians 2, if we're talking about salvation here or coming into what God has for us, it says, this is not your own doing. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not our own doing. It does not come through our own striving, through our own effort. Yes, there's a response on our part, responding to what God has done. But it's not through our own effort or doing. And so instead of that motivational motto, you know, you have what it takes. Well, the truth is, I don't, have it, I don't have what it takes. Maybe that could be our motto. I don't have what it takes, but God certainly does. I don't have what it takes, but God certainly does. And in that, the emphasis is on God, is on Him, not on us. And That's a good way to live with our focus on Him, not on ourselves. As we read this passage in Ephesians, it's not, well, Adam was dead in his trespasses and sins. Yes, that was definitely the case. But it's not, but Adam worked really hard, got his life in order through effort and discipline, good choices, and turned his life around. No, that's not it. But God. But God. And just uh, going back to Judges 7. Just touching on that, you know how God had to whittle down the number of men who had come to fight to to just 300. It says there, and I think Judges 7 verse 2 or 3, that God says, No, you've got too many men, lest they boast, saying, My own hand has saved me. God's purpose was to make the people dependent upon Him. And His purpose was to leave them in no doubt whatsoever that it was only by His hand that uh, the victory was won. And so perhaps for us in our lives, it would be worth reflecting on, you know, are there, are there things that God needs to whittle down? Too much of reliance upon self, too much of what we can bring to the table, helping God out, you know, along the way. Are there things that he needs to whittle down so that we can't ever say, I've got this together, my own hand has saved me, um, but that we depend entirely upon him. So contrasting the anguish, the darkness, oppression, and gloom that we read about in Isaiah 8 and 9 is the but God, the light, the joy, the liberty that comes through Jesus, the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And contrasting that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, you were children of wrath, is the but God God. But God, rich in mercy towards us, because of the great love with which he loves us, he made us alive. But God made us alive. And because of his intervention, the story of Scripture, and indeed our own story of salvation, becomes one of grace and righteousness, hope and joy. And of course, the central figure in that story is Jesus, the one who we remember and celebrate at this time of year. But God is the perfect phrase for highlighting His grace against the dark backdrop of our sin. And indeed, it's the perfect phrase for Christmas time. But God. So, where does this leave us this morning? Well, hopefully, encouraged, and hopefully, with a reminder. We have a God who isn't distant, who isn't passive, but has taken the initiative. He, he has intervened. He desires to break through into our lives. And so you may be facing difficult circumstances today. I want to encourage you, but God is able. You may be feeling no sense of hope or expectancy about Christmas, about 2017, or beyond that. But God can turn that around. He can bring fresh hope this morning. You may be feeling lost in sin. You may be feeling like you've just made a total mess of things, unsure how you could ever get your life back on track. But God, but God is able. He's rich in mercy. He's given us the gift of salvation. Because God has taken the initiative, <clears throat> there is joy to the world. There is joy to the world, for he has come. And we need to respond, of course, to that. But he has taken the initiative. Because of but God, there is joy available to us today. Jesus has come, bringing light to our darkness. He's brought hope to our hopelessness. He's brought freedom to our oppression. So as we celebrate Christmas this week, next Sunday, I encourage us, let's grab hold of the phrase, but God. Let the truth of it sink deep into our hearts. Let the truth of all that he has done be a source of joy and hope for you this Christmas. But God, but God. Amen, amen. Could I uh, just ask the worship team to come up? Because I just feel like it would be a great way to finish our service this morning in worship, lifting up the name of the Lord. And then there'll be opportunity for prayer after that. So let's stand together. Lord, I thank you again that we could gather as your people today. And as we leave from here, I pray that we would go encouraged in heart, Lord, strengthened in you. Lord, I I just pray that um, your word would resonate in our hearts this morning, Lord God, as we go from here. I thank you for this incredible phrase, but God. The way that you are able to break through, Lord God, into the midst of our circumstances and the things that we're facing. Lord, And I just pray that you would remind us of this in the coming week. I pray that there would be but God moments for us even this week, Lord God. But God, you bringing fresh joy, and you, Lord, bringing fresh hope, and you, Lord, bringing just fresh uh, purpose and 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 freedom and expectancy for the future, Lord God. And so I just bless each person here in the name of the Lord Jesus with your presence, your peace, Lord, and just your goodness as well. And uh, as we finish with some worship, Lord, we lift up. And exalt your name. How great you are. How wonderful you are. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.